Welcome back to another exciting week in the Web3 universe. I'm your host, The Mayor, and you're listening to the best NFT media nominated NFT and Chill podcast, the show that discusses interesting topics with artists, creators, and thought leaders from the Web3 space. On this week's episode, we have John Dunsmore. He is a lawyer. He also specializes in NFTs, crypto, and blockchain. And we're going to be talking about all things IP, trademarking, securities. This is going to be an incredible episode for anyone in the space, whether you're a creator, an artist, or a collector. So sit back and chill while we explore the exciting world of NFTs and Web3 together. All right, and we're back to the show. Who I have with me, I met at DecentralCon, Austin. He's a lawyer, and he's going to help us get into the legal side of NFTs and Web3. Jonathan Dunsmore. How's it going, John? I, I can't complain, Tyler. How are you? Or should I say the mayor? The mayor. <laughs> you want to give yourself an introduction? Yeah. Uh, this is Jonathan C. Dunsmore of Dunsmore Law. I'm a corporate securities attorney by trade, but we deal with all the crypto degens stuff uh, that you guys come up with, uh, whether it's just blockchain related or purely crypto. So we try to make sure that everybody's staying out of trouble. And the information provided here is uh, not legal advice, not financial advice, and damn sure not investment advice. Let's get into how you got into the NFT crypto blockchain space and what you were practicing before. Yeah. So I've been a traditional corporate securities attorney for a couple of years before, you know, I had all of these crazy kids asking for Howie letters and opinion letters about, you know, their ICO. And that was late 2016 up in Buffalo. So, you know, fortunately we told everybody no. Uh, had I known that the SEC was going to be handing out parking tickets, I joked that, you know, maybe we would have rethought those considerations. All kidding aside, you know, we've tried to be in this industry and, and be proactive uh, since that era. I had a really brilliant client basically tell me, you know, how would securities work on a blockchain? And that kind of forced me to go down the rabbit hole because there are a lot of problems with the capital markets. A lot of things are still broken, as we've seen with the meme stock wars over the last couple of years. I think that we're slowly starting to move to a new era of not only capital raising, but also crowdfunding as it relates to capital raising. That's what makes me excited about blockchain. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you spoke about the meme stock wars. That is kind of how I got into the space. I was very heavy in GameStop and AMC. Personally, I think it's really great for the average person, their way to fight back against the institutions that have been taking advantage of retail investors. So I'm not sure how your opinion of the meme stock wars. I am fully on board with the wars. <laughs> I, I recognize that the system that we currently have at this point is broke. I'm hoping that, you know, eventually, thanks to the work of major players like T0 and Securitize and some others, everybody who's really trying to build a more fair system, you know, I, I hope we'll eventually see that. We're not there yet. We're getting closer. I think we've got some cool products that will hopefully come out later this year. Some offerings from our clients that will blow everybody away should the SEC roll with us. Given what we've seen in the NFT world and how projects are trying to create communities and actively trying to not necessarily solicit investors, but participate in the markets that are new and novel and create ecosystems that are truly Web3 and are truly in some ways controlled by the community. I think that that really gives us a better, more utopian future than we have right now with you know all the corruption and all the seeming and front running that we have. 
Absolutely. The old way with stocks was highly set up to favor the institutions and the hedge funds. It was very difficult for the average person and the retail investor to get ahead. They were taken advantage of. I think that's why crypto really started gaining traction was because of that as well. I agree. I, I think that, you know, as much as I love Jobs Act did and have clients that use Regulation CF, Regulation CF is very tough for our clients or anybody who, who uses it. it. It's really tough to, you know, kind of pay back investors unless they go public or, or there's, you know, an acquisition. When you're in a position like that, we tell our clients and we tell the public that you've got to kind of think about, are these people going to be happy with, you know, their investment if they're stuck in the position forever? If there are people who are in illiquid positions, I think that we need to be able to get them out with possibly a uh, blockchain-based system where you know they can go public for those very temporary months to trade, or they can provide yearly filings at a, a very quote-unquote nominal rate because we'll be using hopefully blockchain accounting. I'm very optimistic on the future that we can accomplish some really kind of dope things. Yeah, definitely. So can you just real quick explain what CF regulation is? Yeah, Regulation CF is a mechanism that allows for non-accredited investors to raise now up to $5 million from the public. Uh, so you can generally solicit, you can say out on Twitter, on uh, LinkedIn, on all those kind of fun things that, hey, we've got this awesome, really incredible opportunity. Please invest in us. I'm very, very cautiously optimistic that blockchain and its related technologies can hopefully solve some of the issues that we have in our current capital raising system. And one of those is primarily the ability to raise capital for early stage startup. I am very excited for all of this. Let's say your average person who trades crypto and NFTs is a collector. If they want to create a startup in this space, can they go about using that method to accure funds? Yeah. Let's say you have a project and you want to you know, give people equity in your company and they're not accredited investors. That's a really good way of doing it. Most NFT projects don't really do it that way. You know, They use their credit cards or, or other means of, of getting their initial capital to create the artwork, create the website. And then you talked about this on your last podcast, You know, NFTs with actual utility. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly think that as the space grows and matures, I think more NFT projects and companies in the space will take this route to accure funds to pay a staff and all of that. So how, how would somebody, an average person, go about doing that? Would they contact you? Me or any other securities lawyer, if you know you come to me and it's a project that I can't take on right now or that think you're too early and you need to flesh some things out, we'll, we'll help you kind of walk through some of that and, and help you kind of guide where, where you're at. A startup advisor for as long as I've been a securities attorney. Uh, so I have no interest in getting money from a little startup, a garage band startup. I'd rather you, you know work with you to try to see you grow. And, and then as your company grows, your legal fees grow. Yeah. <laughs> the overall situation is if you're dealing with something that involves securities, you're selling an investment interest, you're selling in you know what will be equity, you need to be careful. We uh, literally had uh, a complaint filed with a state regulatory agency uh, in Massachusetts today. And those things cost a lot of money. So, you know, as we say, it is much cheaper to do the legal work as it is to fight an enforcement action. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. So let's get into a little bit of trademark and LLC. You know, how important is that, do you think, in this new industry? If you have a project or a brand or even, you know, some art, but you're using a certain name that's not your own, how important is it to set up a trademark and possibly an LLC? It's very important. 
you know, ideally you would have an LLC before you have, you know, the trademark registration, you know, the, those type of IP protected processes is what we call it. Um, and so it kind of is a situation in which you also have to see, you know, how much money have you raised? Is this something that you're willing to fight worldwide? Because, you know, one of the benefits and blunders of blockchain is that it's global. So just because you have the naming rights here, you may not have the naming rights in the UK as you head to London tomorrow. So you have to be prepared for those types of fights. And what we've seen in the Web3 world is people not necessarily caring as much um, unless Project 1 becomes you know massive. And then we see you know a copycat, right? And that's when, fortunately, we have to bring out all the teeth uh, to fight the copycat. Famously, back in the good old, I believe it was the 80s or 90s, the Nintendo organization in Japan sent out these little advertisements saying, don't call it a Nintendo. It is not a Nintendo. And Nintendo is, you know, this specific game system from uh, Nintendo Japan or, or whatever it was called. And basically dissuading people from calling every game system a Nintendo because you can actually lose some of your copyright protections by it basically becoming a fair use kind of issue. And so that's where Kleenexes, Xerox... When I say go Xerox something, that used to mean go make a copy of it. And Xerox started getting really worried and tried to do the same thing that Nintendo did, but it wasn't nearly as successful. <laughs> uh, but even that kind of fell from our lecton as, as we don't use much paper anymore. Yeah, those types of issues do exist. Uh, and you have to kind of be, you know, very curious, especially if you're using an artist rendering. You've paid an artist or you've gotten art somewhere, you've created art yourself. You want to protect it and you want to make sure that you're, you know, going down the right path. And so some of that gives you copyright protection immediately and within the, you know, actual creation of the entity or it comes something where you have to you know actively take the steps to make changes and actively protect yourself the space is so early the great thing about web3 is that people from all over the world and anyone can come into this space and create something and start building something for themselves but you know that also comes with inexperience and people who don't know about these things so you're going to have people who will use your name or try and you know get clout you know that is where stuff like this copyright trademarking setting up an llc comes to protect yourself when it comes to ip ip is something that's extremely important in this space and and me personally i think it's a huge advantage when a project offers you know ip rights to people who buy their nfts when it comes to ip how cut and dry is it because there's so much in this space when somebody says, well, how do you know you have 100% commercial rights? If it says so on their website, how much of that can you take as a grain of salt? And are there repercussions from certain wording? You know, what questions do you, does the consumer need to ask the project to make sure that they're taken care of? Yeah, so that's really tough for us to kind of figure out because there is not a well-understood mechanism to make sure that everybody has made proper registered trademarks or has gone through, you know, the UK Patent Office or, or the American Patent Office or, or, God forbid, tried to file anything in China. And so it becomes something where we don't have a really good solution. Uh, I said on stage in Austin that, you know, I hope that, you know, somebody creates a Web3 wallet that allows us to you know, log in and see the NFTs that we have and see what commercial rights are available in the applicable jurisdiction. And unfortunately, that's a very heavy lift, but it's something that, you know, we have to do because as the, the nature of Web3 continues to grow, we have to protect these rights. We have to, you know, 
build businesses based on the ability to say, hey, this is McDonald's, this is Nintendo, or this is Kodak. And so, you know, those types of opportunities, uh, even from a historic perspective, uh, have to be protected. And so in this new world of Web3, we've seen, you know, the board apes go after people who have clearly copied them. We've seen cyberpunks go after people who have, you know, flipped the cyberpunk to the other side and, and said, oh, this is completely something different. It's a, it's a deviation. It doesn't affect the copyright. And in reality, it does. And so it's one of those situations where I wish we had a clean answer, but we're going to give the traditional lawyer answer of it depends. Unfortunately, if somebody says in their terms of service that, yeah, you have full commercial rights, that may mean that you have full commercial rights within the U.S. and presumably elsewhere around the world. But there may be, you know, affirmative rights that have to be expressly granted or, you know, denied in other jurisdictions. And because there's 193 jurisdictions by the U.N. standard, we can't govern them all. It's not like Pokemon, but we're not there yet. And I think that we will get there. And I think that that will hopefully allow for more and more commerce, right? Because if I can trademark NFT and chill, right? And, you know, say that that is your brand across the globe, uh, then that really holds power. And then you can fight anybody in a Brazilian court or a Chilean court or a, a Paraguay court to say, hey, this is, you know, not yours. Don't use this. We've, you know, filed within your country and said, this is ours. And that's where I think that we will be able to start seeing more protectionist types of, of businesses built in the Web3 world because they won't have to worry about people stealing their their IP, which is, you know, what they've really created in the metaverse or what they've created just in the Web3 economy. Now, when it comes to IP and a project has their IP statement on their website, is that something that you can go off of a quote-unquote binding? It depends. It's, I wish it was. If you have a, a statement that says, you know, you have private rights, what does that mean? What does that mean in the UK? What does that mean in the US? What does that mean in Canada? You have to look at all of these different things. We use different languages. What I say in you know, the States doesn't necessarily fly in Japan. And so as this economy grows as a global Web3 economy, like I said, we really have to kind of hammer some of these things out. And we haven't done it yet. And so you can go off the things that you know, are said in terms and conditions, but you probably need to save the terms and conditions in a really good folder, cloud storage, IPFS, something like that. So if you, God forbid, ever have to use them again or need to refer to them, uh, you'll have a copy. And most of those, uh, because we're terrible lawyers and Chief Justice John Roberts himself said that he doesn't read term services, uh, you know, most of those things contain amendment clause. And depending on the amendment, <laughs> we don't have to give notice. You know, if it's an arbitration amendment, we have to and, and things like that. But and, and most substantive amendments, which would you know technically fall under this category. But yeah, so you could have an amendment that says, hey, uh, you know, I minted this NFT. I thought I got full commercial rights. Uh, what the hell happened? You guys changed it, you know, two months later. And then you could fall into this weird world of uh, for the litigators out there and then, you know, possibly plaintiffs, people who have bought NFTs and then had a, a legal rug pulled from them you know, hey, uh, we had commercial rights to begin with, and then you switched over to private rights. That's not fair. I did not get the benefit of my bargain. Uh, you pulled a, uh, <laughs> pulled a, like I said, a legal rug on me. And that may be something that we see litigated probably within the coming years. Yeah, definitely. I didn't even think about that. That's extremely interesting. So, like I say this all the time, you know, the space is exciting because we don't really know what the future holds. And there's all these things that need to be worked out. You know, I try, I try and keep a positive mindset. Where do you see the future of regulation securities? How do you see that playing out? In just, and this is just your opinion, 
I think that we're going to start seeing a lot more of the regulations kind of uh, be put into place that make sense. I have some problems with the new Loomis bill, but it's nice to see that, you know, we're even being talked about. You know, we used to have to be kind of shunned in a corner. Uh, I remember having conversations with old gray hair lawyers that would say, oh, you're dealing with crypto, you're dealing with criminals and drug running and all this other kind of stuff. And it was just, you know, we were shunned scarlet letters cast against us. And at this point, you know, we're actively being talked about in Congress. Now, it's not necessarily under the best light, but as, you know, the old saying goes, all publicity is good publicity. Because when we have movement or being talked about, we are being discussed and we are continuing to hopefully move the needle in a positive way. We are not like Russia or China or India who have, you know, all within the past couple of years, you know, tried to ban cryptocurrency, which I think is the most ludicrous thing that uh, one could do. So at this point, the cat is out of the bag and we have to feel <laughs> we have to figure out how to deal with the cat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a great answer. You know, the future, I think, is bright. And you're right. We are being talked about. There are lobbyists that are working for our cause. And then there are also, as devil's advocate, there are lobbyists working against the cause as well. But just the fact that the fight is on is a great sign. The best thing to do is really to just sit back and, and enjoy the ride and enjoy the show. I agree. I, I think that for better or worse, this is only the very beginning of the ride. I think it's going to get a lot crazier. I think there's going to be a lot of people who make a lot of money and, and lose a lot of money. But I do think that overall, uh, we're going to build a better system because the people, especially in winter, who are listening to your podcast or actively building or, you know, trying to come up with the next you know utility token or NFT utility token or something that actually makes sense in a community oriented fashion. Those are the people who are ultimately going to succeed in this crazy world. And that's what I like. I like the people who kind of deviate from the mean and take the t opportunity and the time to make the world a better place. John, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the NFT and Chill podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think there was a ton of great information that people starting projects, artists, creators, and, you know, just collectors in this space can get a lot out of. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's been an honor and a pleasure, sir. And I look forward to seeing your growth in this uh, crazy industry. And I'll uh, chat with you hopefully again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people find you, especially can they reach out to you with anything we've talked about today or if they any of their needs in the space? Absolutely. Absolutely. Unfortunately, the best way to generally reach me is, is LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, so Jonathan Dunsmore on, on the LinkedIn and JC Dunsmore Esquire on, on Twitter. Those are generally the best places. And that's it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, John Dunsmore, for coming on and giving so much great advice and insight on the legal aspect, whether you're a creator, an investor, a collector, this is extremely valuable. And if you need anything from a legal standpoint, reach out to John. His contact is in the show notes. And I want to thank every single listener for subscribing to the show, listening every week, leaving all those awesome reviews. None of this is possible without you. And we got some really cool stuff planned for the listeners that's coming very soon. So stay tuned and make sure you're subscribed because you don't want to miss what we have planned. 
I just got back from London from the Global NFT Summit hosted by Tech Circus. It was absolutely incredible. Speaking at the event, meeting so many awesome people, getting to meet so many listeners from the United Kingdom was an absolute pleasure. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss next week's awesome guest. And if you check out the NFT and Chill YouTube channel, and subscribe there. I have an exclusive interview with an extremely interesting person that I met in London who is an outside-the-box NFT artist, and that's fantastic. I'll leave that in the show notes as well. It's something you're only going to see with the NFT and Chill podcast. So I'm the mayor. You've been listening to the NFT and Chill podcast.